Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 210th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that hopes you didn't get foiled by the Mystery Boosters. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MGG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as usual, is Travis Allen, a.k.a. at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Good evening, James. Uh, good luck <laughs> to all of our listeners out there. Uh, James and I were just catching up precast regarding setting up COVID. Yeah, COVID nineteen here. Uh, you know, ram- the situation has worsened considerably since we spoke last week. Italy is now completely locked down. New York State declared a state of emergency last weekend. Uh, it's yeah, moving it, fast. It, it, Italy quarantined sixteen million people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a lot. I, I will tell you that if you are going to GP Detroit this weekend, I would seriously reconsider. Uh, you know, the, the convention flu or convention cold that you always catch when you come back exists, right? Everyone who's been to a few GPs or a big con knows that that goes around. We also know that magic players are notoriously unhygienic. And now you're putting yourself in a room with, you know, if Wizards is up, if, if we're going by Wizards optimistic, optimistic predictions, 3,000 people. Uh, the odds that one of them is carrying Corona is probably pretty good. And you're doing nothing but touching things and passing things around. So putting yourself in harm's way, I think, if you go that route. I mean, we already give sketchy financial advice on a regular basis. We may as well give sketchy medical advice. Yeah. <laughs> really, yeah, yeah, yeah. really, 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 tri- really trip over every federal regulation we can. The, uh, <laughs> but I will say that I've, the, I've t- heard lots of people talking, including at a packed house at face-to-face games here in Toronto last Friday about how the whole thing is nonsense and people are overreacting and buying toilet paper is stupid and blah, blah, blah. So I started doing my own research and tracked down, you know, uh, virologists and epidemiologists and people that are on the ground working, uh, in acute care in countries like Iran and Italy, et cetera. And I got to tell you, you're much better off here, certainly not panicking, but being pragmatic about your preparations, because things might turn out mostly okay, depending on where you are, or things could get real bad in a hurry. Economically, they can get bad. Your source of funds can be cut off. Um, From a medical standpoint, certainly if you have anybody in your house or immediate family or people that you're in frequent contact with that have comorbidities like things that may complicate um having issues with a flu-like uh disease then you seriously might want to rethink like how often you're seeing those people and how essential it is Um, because the thing about this is that there is an incubation period so for instance kids are supposed to be not that affected but for instance if i was to take a lara all over town here in toronto and she didn't exhibit symptoms but was um, capable of getting people ill for some period of time, she might encounter two, three, four hundred people a week. And how many of those people are going to be especially vulnerable over 60 with some kind of complicating factor? It's just not worth it, right? You got to start figuring out in life and as pertains to magic what is actually important in the short to midterm. 
At least, yeah, in, at we, least until we have a, a, a solid way of either immunizing against this, or um, the, I think the Chinese are developing antivirals. Yeah, there's supposedly vaccines in the pipeline, although uh, no commitment to being able to afford the vaccines for whatever that's worth. Well, I mean, um, ju- ju- just the test in the U.S. is what three thousand dollars. I I don't know. I, I I didn't see that. I just saw the comment that they were. Uh, the manufacturer and the government wouldn't commit to making it affordable. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Uh, uh, I, my wife and I went shopping last night and the grocery store was quiet. I mean, it was also 10 o'clock on a Monday. Um, we picked up probably, I think our normal cost at the grocery store is somewhere between like 50 and 70 bucks, you know, roughly in that range. Um, and we spent almost $400, uh, in it, the intent, you know, I, I, I consider this, pra- again, a, a pragmatic and realistic approach. So we picked up a ton of, you know, non-perishable items, a lot of, you know, beans and some canned fruit, pasta, sauce, all that good stuff. But we only bought stuff that we would eat anyways. Um, you know, not no like crazy rations that we would never touch if it weren't the case. We just bought a lot of the stuff that we normally eat that we can keep. Um, and we're just going to kind of stick it in the corner in the basement and, and you know, just leave it there. And then when it finally gets to Buffalo, because there's no reported cases yet, and it goes really crazy, we'll be able to go, you know, maybe two, three weeks without going to the grocery store instead of two or three days. Um, I don't think I'm not in the whole like, oh, I want to be able to live alone for six months type of thing. You know, I don't have I don't have all that set up. And, you know, if the water gets cut off, then I'm in trouble. But, you know, if the water's getting cut off or tainted, I feel like that's a whole other level of. Yeah, that's a whole that's a, that, that's another level that, that I'm just going to have to accept. We're not prepared for. Then we're in the Walking Dead scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, we're in the same boat. And again, my not all my friends care, seem to care all that much. My coworkers don't seem to care that much. Uh, all right. But. You, people got to think about this and the disease spreads faster than the information about it. Or I should say the disease spreads sooner than the notification that someone's infected. We, we do have a friend who owns a private island in the middle of a Northern Ontario lake <laughs> that, that is solar powered and has a, a gas generator with pretty good reserves. So we have an option if shit goes walking dead, uh, but you still got to get there. <laughs> you got to get mm-hmm. from point A to point B. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least it's starting in spring instead of starting in fall because then you'd have to winter on the island. Oh, yeah. I saw pictures. He is dealing with four feet of snow up there. So there's only so many only so many times you can go snowmobiling. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. The um, you know, the the more immediate impact here germane to our weekly topic is that, you know, if, if this really does hit the U.S. as hard as it sounds like. And I I I heard that there are one of the prediction models was looking at the next two months expecting a hundred million infections. So a little less than a third of the country and 500,000 dead in the next two months. Um, no, I don't know how accurate that is. A creatus is just a model, but clearly they're looking at a pretty large impact. Uh, and at a local level, uh, your local game stores are probably going to have a lot of trouble with this because they're they're going to end up being ghost towns whether they want to or not. And it's possible that we're going to see public gatherings of more than 10 people made illegal anyways, uh, you know, just to try and suppress it. You know, In Italy, you can't go to a sporting event anymore. 
uh, larger companies will adapt, but some of these small stores cannot go two or three months without being able to do anything. You know, how many of your local stores work on essentially a month to month basis? I bet it's a lot of them. Yeah, we, we touched on this last week and I am worried about that. The, that the, the margins are thin enough at your local LGS that the sales that they average, they need to happen. <laughs> Most of those stores can't go a month without revenue or a month at like 30, 50, 70% less revenue. So it's going to be tough. Um, and it's going to end up being, could easily end up being a survival of the fittest thing where only the really big, you know, well-funded stores um, with major online operations, for instance, or um, that have owners with significant, like deep pockets, uh, are going to be able to weather that storm, and and it would re- be really difficult to kickstart replacements were they knocked out of the picture, because mm-hmm. those those are high risk businesses to begin with, and a lot of the you know communities where they're just kind of scraping by might not be another person ready to put up their hand and get it going again. It's it's going to have a lot of impacts, uh, and it's going to be large and rippling i mean certainly i hope we're wrong about the worst case scenarios as we understand them but given that we've already seen how it played out in some of the countries hit earliest and we don't have any particular uh defense against uh the virus that is unique to north america i mean in fact if anything the response here is likely to be worse especially in the u.s but canada is not much better off because the virus hates heat um, and doesn't like moisture, and you know Canada's not going to be warm till June. So, right. So I agree. It's, hopefully, it's not as bad as we have a an inkling that it's going to be. Um, this is this part. This is part of that. It's better to be prudent and conservative than not. But in this case, being prudent and conservative means recognizing how bad it could be. Um, yeah, so that dark cloud hanging over everybody's head, I guess we'll right. uh, <laughs> kick the week off with that. Otherwise, I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. I'm assuming we have the usual four segments, uh, along with our plague calling. Uh, Correct. We are a show of four segments this week, every week, most weeks. Segment one, our top movers will run through the cards that have seen the largest gains in price over the last week. Segment two, cards to watch. Some cards that James and I like for the future, including a uh, stop off with a Discord listener. Segment three, our metagame week in review. We've got a Pioneer Challenge and League to look at with uh, with relevant metagame data since they were un- unimpacted by the bans, which segues nicely into segment four, Topic of the week, the formats that were impacted by Monday's ban update, Legacy and Modern, and also some other formats nobody cares about, and we'll probably also be unable to resist talking about the Mystery Booster foil list that was just released that will be available at your uh, soon-to-be-uninhabited local game store. 
uh, which I just realized that could have an impact there too, right? Like if if these stores can't run events for two or three months, you're going to see a lot less of these mystery boosters opened. Well, and uh, and I and if Icoria is a blockbuster set that gets under opened because of all this, boy oh boy, are those cars going to be worth a lot down the road? Hmm. All right. Well, no, let's let's not uh, let's bury the lead here. We'll start off segment one, our top mover, with Return of the Wild Speaker. This was your pick from last week. We're looking at the Theros. Uh, extended art. This is the foil extended art copies, seven fifty to ten. So definitely, some people went out and picked up the cheap copies based on your pick last week. And now it will just be a matter of whether they keep going. Yeah, I mean, this doesn't prove a whole lot other than reinforcing the trend that was already in play that I referenced. Um, you know, the movement, the two or three dollar movement, suggests strongly to me that that's just people that were listening that picked up copies as cheaply as possible. But there was already um, that demand uh, in play. This is one of the extended arts that's been selling the most briskly um, and a little bit under the radar, for, I think, for a lot of people. And I suspect that that call last week to get from, what was it, 7 to 15, give that another six months, and I think you'll pretty much be there. Uh, the card is you know, of moderate uh, usefulness in EDH decks. Uh, nice that it has a little bit of uh, modal utility and reported in enough decks that feels feel strongly that it's going to hit the target. Yeah, uh, we talked about it last week. Tune into episode 209 to hear more about it. But overall, uh, I'm on board. Our second card for the week is Heliod's Intervention. Also Theros Beyond Death Foil. Uh, Heliod's Intervention is the card. Extended Art Foil. The Extended Art Foil. What did I say? Just You just said Foil. Oh, extended art foil, the white, white X instant where you destroy X artifacts or enchantments or gain double X. So you either get to uh, snipe a bunch of artifacts and enchantments or double up on some life gain. Um, it's pretty strong on EDH and it is one of the top extended art sellers on TCG player with supply going pretty quickly. Looks like the regular copies also went from one to two and pack foils two to six. So there's some movement across the board on Heliod's intervention, which um, leaves me wondering if, to, you know, to see an EDH card move this swiftly, relatively soon, leaves me wondering if they're, if it's either A, uh, this showed up somewhere else in a non-EDH format, or if somebody made a point of trying to pick up copies themselves. Uh, but in anticipation of popularity, though, if that were the case, I wouldn't expect regular copies to have gained in price. So now I'm kind of thinking this might have shown up elsewhere and it wasn't just EDH. No, not that I know of. I'm pretty sure Intervention is just people recognizing that it's going to be a strong commander card for a long time. And it's not going to see a reprint, uh, very unlikely to see a reprint because, you know, most of the standard cards their opportunity for a reprint is through something like the challenger decks. Um, but this isn't, this card is unlikely to be a, a, a function uh, in standard within the next year that nobody's worrying about artifacts and enchantments in the sideboard. Um, and it's certainly not a main deck card. So this reads to me as just like not quite a smothering tithe, but that kind of thing where the EDH players saw no reason it to uh, wait and the extended art, the art on Helios Intervention is excellent and looks better in the extended art version for sure. Um, so you're seeing people target them at all levels. 
both on the speculation side, alongside a natural current of EDH demand. And that's going to move things along a little faster. One of the things I think is interesting here is there's been rolling debate in our Discord about whether or not extended arts are worth targeting and at what point you're supposed to get in, like how long do we wait. People that jumped at them early, including myself, um, for Throne of Eldraine, definitely regretted it because there was, for most of the cards, not all, undervalued cards should still be targeted, like underestimated cards should still be targeted early regardless of what format they're in. But for most of the other cards that started high, they tended to drift off as collectors got their hands on on their copies and then the demand seemed to peter off. But with Theros Beyond Death, even though they printed more of these collector boosters for sure, I'm guessing by all indications that less of them were opened versus Eldraine because there seems to be less of the extended arts in the market and they seem to be draining faster. So that could be that there is additional demand for some of the cards in question, that there are more EDH-specific cards in this set, whereas Eldraine is more known for its constructed cards. Um, Or it could be a function of a little bit of that, but also just less of the collector boosters being opened. Um, Anyway, you slice it, most of the extended arts that are moving the fastest are from Theros, not from Eldraine, uh, as far as TCG player is concerned. And some of that is echoing through Europe as well. I do wonder if that's because people looked at maybe people looked at Theros and decided it wasn't as engaging what the, the collector's boosters weren't as exciting as Throne of Eldraine or rather the prices seemed to crater faster so people who had packages decided not to crack them well, and more of them ended up sealed there's a, because there's a, I mean I I noticed that the Theros ones were cheaper and decided to crack mine to move singles to try and recoup some of the cost but maybe not everyone went that route. There's a few things in play, right? The the Planeswalkers all ended up underwhelming. Uh, Elspeth, Ashiok, and uh, Kallax, um are all pretty unexciting cards that nobody is really talking about, aren't seeing much. Like, I guess Ashiok's are the most play in standard, but none of the three of them are really doing much. So that means three of the showcase mythics, the, well, the borderless planeswalker mythics were basically a whiff, and then you also have a bunch of the the gods. Where other than uh, Heliod, who has a, a combo, of course, in multiple formats, um, the other four have been meh as well so far. And I think that two of them, uh, Thassa and Perforos, will probably get there down the road, but th- that certainly undercuts excitement for the set. Now, the other thing about Theros is that some of the really great constructed cards like Thassa's Oracle and Underworld Breach were understandably um, so good that people just assumed that they would be affected by bans. And of course, we've just seen that this week with Underworld Breach being banned in Legacy um, and probably headed that way for Modern and Pioneer soon enough, um, even if it's not next few months or even this year, it will eventually end up busted in all of those formats. And that passes yeah. Oracle inverter deck escaped the bannings this week, but for how long, who knows? So, you know, there, there, there are a number of reasons why cracking these boxes isn't automatic value. Um, you know, even when the prices were high, you were basically plus or minus 15% to break even. So not the most exciting spec. But I suspect long-term we're going to see some reversal because we, we haven't seen extended arts in the market for more than six months. That's how long it's been since Eldraine came out, even though it feels like a million years. Um, and I suspect that a year from now, you're going to see most of the good extended arts drained out pretty hard. 
And then the ones that aren't important are just going to be languishing. Like you're just going to see 150 listings of random extended arts sitting around, which is the a function of the fact that they're making extended arts for everywhere in the set. So as we've noted multiple times, that means tons of jank gets a premium version for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I, on a side note, it does look like Heliod's intervention has shown up in a couple standard decks, not in any major capacity, um, usually in, in some blue-white control builds, mostly sideboards. So there is some action there, but I, I, I guess it is mostly standard, or uh, I'm sorry, mostly standard. EH. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so next on our list, we've got uh, Savine's Reclamation, one of two cards on the list this week that popped off hard, but I suspect we are looking in the rear view at a situation that is no longer valid. Um, I say that because Reclamation went from 450 to 7 for about a 55% gain, but that was basically because it was seeing some solid legacy play uh, alongside uh, Underworld Breach, which just caught a ban. That's also true of the top mover of the week, Orem's Chant, out of Planes- uh, Planescape. Uh, I think that's right. Uh, Foil is going from 20 to 100 on the same basis, but again, that deck just doesn't exist anymore because Breach is gone, and that was the heart of the deck, so... Um, hopefully people got their exits while they were there to take, um, even though the gap was pretty small. I mean, Wizards went after Breach and Legacy real quick. Mm-hmm. That's not surprising. I have two friends who went and played through the Breach, or through the Breach, Underworld Breach and Legacy events like last weekend or something like that, a week, week and a half ago. And they said, both of them, I think, played the Breach deck and said that the only matches they lost were to the Mirror. Sure. Like 100% of games they played were won by Breach decks. Yeah. So that's been knocked off the podium, and cards that were more or less only getting played there are probably going to backslide quite a bit. Um, on the other hand, you have Elvish Mystic Foils at M15 being a consistent staple in Pioneer. Foils going from 450 to 750. I'd expect those to push up even further. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. I think maybe one of us picked these early in the fall. I'd have to go back and check. Um, shortly after Pioneer was announced. Uh, I've certainly got some Japanese foil Elvish Mystic sitting around I'd like to sell. So hopefully this trend continues. Elvish Mystic is a card, I, I feel like I've looked at this before, although I will tell you I'm looking at the availability right now and there's not actually that many foils. I guess I thought there were more. There's M14 and M15 and there's an F&M promo. But those are the only foils... I think I probably thought there were a lot more than that, which is likely why I didn't look closer. But yeah, Elvish Mystic, Llanowar Elves, both very popular in Pioneer right now. And in fact, there were two Devotion the Green decks that popped up in the um, Pioneer events that we'll see later. Uh, that that FNM promo, how deep is the uh, supply right now? Not very. Uh, probably not, but it looks like it's $15 already, right? More like twenty on average, and uh, Scryfall was showing fifteen. I, I would not at all be surprised. Well, I mean, there's one zero percent feedback guy on TCG Player that's got three copies listed at fifteen dollars, and then it jumps up to twenty pretty much right away. But I would guess these cut these end up like going twenty to thirty pretty easily. It's not going to take more than about ten people to want play sets before these will drain out. Uh yeah, I that's probably fair. You know, I don't think you'll sell through them too fast, but at the same time, I think you're 
probably correct that those FNM promos won't be $15 or even really $20 for too long. It's unfortunate. I would not play this version myself. I don't like the art, but... Uh... Yeah, none of the art's really hot, right? Like, it's not great on any of them. Yeah, it's probably probably viable for another promo at some point, to be honest. Um, yeah. All right, next on the list, we got Talisman of Progress at a Mirrodin. Foils going from 14 to 24 or so. Uh, about a 70% gain. This is on the back of broad-based casual and EDH play, certainly, but uh, reinforced by blue-white Wurza decks in Modern, running the card as a two-of. Um, Wurza decks, of course, like to recycle, like, sap artifacts and recycle them and pull them in and out of play with things like Emery. Uh, so a ramp, uh, color-fixing ramp spell that can also play into their artifact recycling plan seems to fit decently there. For sure. It does uh, a lot of good things for them. So it makes sense. I'm, you know, we're looking at mirrored in foil. So the supply was like zero. I'm not surprised to see a decent price movement, but this doesn't sell me on modern as a reliable vehicle for price changes these days. No, but I do like the fact that Talisman of Progress is reinforced by being reported in like 10,000 EDH decks on EDH rec. Um, oh well, from that from that from that angle, yes, I I won't uh, won't debate that. Foil talismans have gone a long time without a reprint. Yeah, it's that's one of those cards that you kind of wonder how it's gone this long because Mirrodin was like what two thousand, right? Might have been two thousand three, something like so that. So at least fifteen years since Mirrodin came out, and they've never printed foils in any product. And like hoarding foils of this at the time would have been like, "What are you doing? What is your angle?" Of course, we'll get more of these, and you just end up never having more. And it's just an it seems like an odd choice. Well, the funny thing is, know? they haven't even reprinted them in non foil. Like they've never showed up in commander decks. So the yeah, not the uh, not the non foils are six or seven dollars. They've never shown up in any of the commander decks either, huh? And there's and there's only two foils listed on TCG Player, like twenty five dollars and forty five dollars. So if you can get a, a foil talisman of progress for anything under the under twenty five, you're probably doing just fine. I would think that Commander Legends is a pretty good place to put these. Adds a lot of value um, to an uncommon slot that would help sell the set. They need the reprint, and I don't know where else you put them. I mean, you could put them in a standard set, I suppose, but... Ooh, I don't think so. They, they fit They fit a lot better in Commander Legends. I don't think you'll see these in standard ever again. These are not good for standard. Because Commander Legends is going to have, like, a, a ton of commanders of all colors and a, presumably a bunch of multicolor cards, talismans make sense there. Yeah, I mean, that makes more sense there than it does pretty much anywhere else. I do wonder if they'd want to burn reprint equity of a eight or nine dollar uncommon in commander you know in that product if you're already planning on putting some some money elsewhere um but yeah it's just odd that we've gone this long without it because there's so many uncommons that you know we stay away from because you're like well it'll probably take a while before this really moves in price even though it's popular and i expect the reprints to kill it before we get there but it's just never been the case with the talismans yep Next on the list, we got Ghostfire Blade, foils out of Konzatar uh, Kier, going from $1.50 to 3 That is the most hated price movement in my world. Um, although if you could set a, sell a play set of these that you got in a, on at 6 and you can get you know 12 to 15 for them, you're probably doing all right. Um, this is on the back of Is It in Soul in Pioneer, which I spanked last Friday with my uh, Jeskai Dragons deck. 
Um, but the, the, but their deck is pretty solid in the format and unlikely to be affected by any bannings anytime soon. <laughs> I hate this price movement and I hate this card. I don't personally. I'm just laughing at you saying that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate the mostly because I, 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 I say it all the time. I don't hate the card. I think the, the, the card the decks in is good, and my de- deck is jank. But I still spend. I hate it. this. I hate this price movement, and the person who played it is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't impressed to lose to my my deck he had never seen before. Let's put it that way. The next one's pretty funny. Splinter Twin uh, non foils out of both Modern Masters Two and Rise of Eldrazi. Non-foils were like six-ish dollars or so and jumped up to almost 15, which happened ahead of the unban announcement and led to discussion. Is it because of an unban? Well, uh, this, like this is such a weird car to go spec on and spec on so hard. Does somebody know? Well, if it does get unbanned, then we know something shady is going on and someone had some inside information. Of course, Splinter Twin was not unbanned or made legal anywhere. Uh, so, you know, those are coming down. I think card sphere actually canceled trades on this card on Monday to prevent people who had bought copies from unloading them on unsuspecting people who had them on their list, which I thought was kind of funny. I am. Uh, I am so glad that this did not turn out to be for knowledge in the market on this particular topic, because given where things are headed with this wired article and everything, not at all looking forward to being a lightning rod for a bunch of nonsense that has nothing to do with us. <laughs> like, I don't know who was going after Splinter Twin, assuming an unban, but they were making a, a, an error, obviously. So the and it's important to make this a footnote in the ongoing discussion, because as much as I am always willing to admit that, of course, sometimes we know stuff and sometimes other people know stuff and that happens. A lot of the time, this kind of thing where, you know, you have Saffron Olive pointing fingers on Twitter before the ban list dropped saying that this looks shady. It's important to see when he turns out to be wrong to be able to reflect back on that and realize that people just make bad choices. And even when people do have good information ahead of time, they can make bad choices. Like, for instance, when our people knew about Pioneer two days ahead of time, not everybody's speculative action that rolled out from that made sense. You know what I'm saying? Like people that, for instance, got into Etherworks Marvel really deep may or may not have been able to unload in time. Well, I think that uh, Aetherworks Marvel was a good pick, but I get where you're coming from, that people do make bad decisions. And far, far there are far more loose specs. Another good example is people going after uh, Croxa a few weeks back, which worked out, but the market trend line in terms of the play pattern wasn't set up to necessarily support it. Yeah. I, I, I am always surprised in my everyday life at the poor decisions people make. And I never feel like I, I always feel like I give people too much credit uh, for the decisions they make. And yet people continue to make bad ones and I know they make bad ones, but just 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 the decisions that are made i guess i have a, I, I we all expect people to make rational decisions as we would and if they're operating on a different wavelength then that's not how it's going to work out and the thing with splinter twin is they could unban it but they don't have any reason to yeah like it's not that there's not other decks in the format of a similar power level it's just that it adds another version of a play pattern back into the format that nobody is excited to play against so 
it, it's not like Stoneforge Mystic where they were just like, you know what? The power of the format has surpassed this card and we can safely reintroduce it because it's probably not going to be a big deal. And they were right. It wasn't. It's playable, but it hasn't been top tier since it came back. Mm-hmm. And it's not clear mm-hmm. that Spinter Twin would automatically be top tier, but it also wouldn't be interesting because the version no. the versions that would show up would be much the same as the one that they banded over in the first place. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 just no reason to bring it back. But uh, I, I guess the side of the the takeaway here is that people are going to make odd decisions, uh, or you know, if I'm being less charitable, bad decisions. Loose picks that doesn't. Yeah, that doesn't mean that they necessarily know anything. It just means they made a bad choice. Uh, it's going to keep happening. Sometimes they will make a bad choice that gets paid. Uh, and it will look like something crazy happened. <laughs> yeah, that's possible too. Uh, which sometimes we'll never know. If some guy is nuts and goes, I have a really good feeling they're going to, you know, they're going to do this and buys a bunch of cards for something and just got lucky everyone on the outside is gonna be like wow somebody knew the splinter twin was getting unbanned it's like no one guy just made a terrible decision and wizards made a incomprehensible decision to unban the card and now it looks like somebody had inside information well and that and that was the case with stoneforge mystic as well because people repeatedly went after the card and people made money and dumped copies and then got stuck holding some a few times before it actually got unbanned and only the last time did they look smart Yes, yeah. I guess you could, and at least in that case, people kept buying it. So it was like, they, at least Splinter and Stoneforge Mystic made sense. You know, like, like I could understand it. It's just broken clock, right? You know, twice a day kind of thing. Right, 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 right. Anyway, moving on to cards You're, to watch, we have some cards that uh, have a better than average chance of doing all right uh, in the next, say, six to 12 months. My first pick this week is Generous Gift Foils out of Modern Horizons. That's a set I haven't mentioned in a while. Um, Generous Gift is in 13,000 reported decks on EDH Rec. Uh, One of the more important uh, white cards in the entire format. Um, Because it can deal with basically any permanent at the relatively low downside of providing that player with a 3-3. so say on a 12-month timeline, I could see these going from like 650 to 14 for like 100% plus gains. Seems pretty reliable. I don't see a reprint in its future at all um, because Modern Horizons is still lingering in the market and hasn't even been out for the full year. It was originally promised to be in print. Um, but as far as we know, the printing presses have been shut down on Modern Horizons because Pioneer kicked the legs out from under it. So yeah. it's slowly draining out of the distributor network and give it another 6, 12, 18 months. There's not going to be a whole lot of Modern Horizons still lying around. So some of these, and one of the other things to point out is that not only does Modern Horizons exist in the pre-boosted um, foil drop rate era, it also is not a master style set that had a foil per pack. So it's not like Mystery Boosters. It's not like Modern Masters. It is... Uh, you know, on the one foil rare per box kind of situation, two foil uncommons kind of thing. Mm. Um, so there aren't, it's not easy to track down additional foil generous gifts. And a lot of them will be just absorbed into collections. So uh, I, I don't, anybody who plays commander will just keep one of these if they open it for the most part, they have no reason not to. Um, so yeah, I, I think this one's going to get there. just needs some time. I think this is a good choice, and I, I had completely forgotten the card existed, honestly, when you put it on the list. And then I looked at it, and I was like, hey, 
this seems like a good bet. Uh, people are going to kind of forget it's there. Modern Horizons was a little while ago. Uh, it's you know people have moved off of it, but it's going to be popular in EDH. Obviously, it is popular. Foils are going to drain. We're not going to see it for a while. So I think you're you're right on the money with this one. Thumbs up to the member in our Discord that also picked this this week, but like four hours after me, and I had to disappoint <laughs> by telling him it was already under consideration <laughs> and tipping our hand. I, I promise I didn't steal your pick. Now, you guys should target my picks because I do them 20 minutes before we record, so you have maximum time. <laughs> All right, well, uh, what's your first one? Uh, but I do that to have the most up-to-date information, though. I want to make sure I'm bleeding edge for you guys. Fair enough. Um, for, for me, first card for me this week is uh, Mystical Dispute. I'm looking at the foils out of, of course, Toronto Ball Drain, the only printing. Currently floating around 8 bucks. Mystical Dispute is a card that I've definitely looked at before, and I felt like there were too many copies in the market to warrant considering. But now uh, it is in f- about 45% of EDH decks. 45%, per- or, I'm sorry, EDH, modern decks. But God, 45% of Pioneer decks are playing Mystical Dispute, and they're playing several copies, most of them around uh, two to three. The card is a huge deal in Pioneer. And it doesn't seem like that's going to change anytime soon. Mystical Dispute is one of those cards that, you know, the more of it that you see, the better it gets because of the, it gets cheaper when you target other blue cards. Um, and there's now about 45 vendors on TCG Player selling foils. Uh, most of them only have one, a couple. There's a couple place that's floating around, but not many. There's no other vendors. Uh you know, as long as there's no reprint here, this is going to be a $15 card. It's going to keep showing up in Pioneer for a while. It's clearly one of the preeminent counterspells of the format. So I don't see any reason that this wouldn't keep going. Uh, my only real concern here is a reprint of some sort, specifically like an FM promo. I know that Throne of Eldraine had the increased foils, but frankly, it doesn't seem to matter. Yeah, we've seen a few different important foil uncommons from... The core set in the summer and Eldraine uh, get up high. The, I think, Noxious Grasp uh, was another example. Um, We're going to talk about another foil uncommon that's looking good uh, in a little bit here. But this is, this needs to play in Modern and Pioneer, right? Like, and it's in tons of Modern decks because there's plenty of good blue decks and those blue decks end up going head to head with other blue decks. And so Mystical Dispute ends up being useful again and again. Um, this could take some time because it's not like the listings are already super shallow. So this is one of those situations where you want to hold off on jumping. I mean, first of all, the best time to get in was way early, like back in October before people realized this was going to be a thing. But <laughs> well, if at the current be prescient. <laughs> at the current price point, you want to hold off as long as you possibly can before the price jumps up. And there's not a steep ramp, so you might have a little bit of time. You could probably give this two, four, six, eight weeks, maybe and hope for a coupon or a sale or something to like shave a couple bucks off to improve your entry point. Now, if you need these for yourself, I think you just go ahead and snag your copies and you won't be disappointed because they'll appreciate slowly as you're playing the card. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no de- denying the pedigree of the card. Super important in, in Pioneer and Modern. Um, and there's, there's no avenue for a reprint as a foil. Uh even if you don't it, think F&M's? Uh, yeah, I guess an F&M promo is a possibility. That That's probably the biggest risk. Um, yeah. That, it seems like the type of card they would want, to, they want like a, a standard, relevant, uncommon. Seems like the type of card they typically go after. Could happen. 
Um, but yeah, I, I agree. It's the, sh- the ramp is kind of shallow, which means you have a little bit of time. It's not, as we say, uh, at a tipping point. Um, rather, it's just a card with a clear demand profile that I don't see any reason to change. So it's going to just be a matter of attrition rather than a, a spike, I think. So a ways back, I picked Nyxbloom Ancients, I believe, at 10 to go to 20 on the basis that you could source them from either Japan or Europe around that price when they were sitting at about 18 on TCG Player. Um, that's looking like it's going to turn out just fine, um, given enough time. Nyxbloom Ancient is, is one of the top five EDH cards in Theros, uh, and... I think it's time to start looking at the extended arts, not the foils, because I, I suspect that they will be relatively static in price. They're already up around $60, $70. Um, but the non-foil extended arts at around 18 to, say, go to 30 to 35 within a year seems pretty reasonable. Um, Commander players will continue to drain these out. The art on this card, it looks good in, a, in an extended art uh, version. And it'll be the kind of thing that won't explode overnight on any basis uh, because it really is mostly just a commander card but commander players are going to be pulling this you know off shelves and buying them online from here to eternity because the card triples mana so (laughs) it's one of those cards where the the effect is unique and dramatic and even a noob can fully understand why it's why it's cool so this one again is just the kind of thing where it just needs six nine twelve fifteen months to get that 50% plus bump and it'll get there. Yeah, there are some magic cards and EDH cards that require some explanation for a newer player. Sure. You, you know, this card's really good. Oh, well, I don't I don't get it. Why is this so good? Why is this land that makes mana for each creature I control good? Like it's going to be like 2 or 3 mana. Well, it doesn't seem like a big deal and then somebody puts 70 tokens on the board and you're like, "Oh, I see." Uh Nyxbloom Agent is not one of those cards. <laughs> Just, you know, this thing you wanted to do, do it three more times. Um, yeah, it's very good. I I mean, you're, you're preaching to the choir. I actually have like 15 copies of this. I snagged some cheap ones right after the set came out. I think they were Japanese. Uh, maybe there's a couple English ones in there. But I've, I've already got some because I, I believed in it as well. And I mean, I know we spoke highly of it at the time. So if they're, you know, sitting at $15, $18 right now for the non-foils, it's only a matter of time before those are up to 30 the only thing that's going to keep this card from being a 30 to 40 dollar mythic would be a aggressive reprint um schedule from wizards to try and curb this from becoming one of the top green staples i would say yeah and i don't see that happening i, I suspect that nix bloom ancient is safe from reprint for a while because again it's not going to show up as probably not an fnm promo because it's a mythic it's not going to be in a challenger deck because it's not relevant in standard um and it's not going to see a reprint randomly in the first few years of its release. It just doesn't make sense. Um, yeah. Like I, I would say like I could, I could envision them putting this in uh, the commander set as a means of heading off the price, getting out of control, but they'd be cannibalizing their own sales if they were to go that route. So that doesn't seem terribly likely there, at this point. There are so uh, many relevant commander cards that need a reprint in commander legends. And people forget that that's not primarily a reprint set. Like it will probably have, True. 15 20 25 30 relevant reprints but no more than that because it's they have to print a whole bunch of new cards there's like 70 or 80 or 90 commanders in that set or something so right. and then they've got to make sure that those commanders have themes alongside them 
that support them being played in a limited environment. Because if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, that set is designed to be played as some kind of like weird sealed deck, like or like commander draft or something, like com- commander based limited format, um, where you draft the cards or open your sealed pool and then pick one of the commanders and build the rest of the set your deck around it. In which case, you've got to have specific cards to support the commanders. And you're going to have to have a bunch of stuff like multicolored lands and and maybe talismans and whatever to support people being able to dip into different colors to support all the cards they got. So, yeah, I don't see them (laughs) going back to the well on a a mythic that was was just getting put into print when they were putting that set to bed. I I agree. I don't think that that's going to happen anytime I, I don't think it's likely. I was just envisioning a possibility because they've seen cards that they've printed that they were clearly going to be very popular, got very popular, and then the prices ran away before they had a chance to react to it, which made it difficult to reprint them. So they they could be think, looking at that card and going, well, we know this is going to be an EDH staple. We want people to play with it. So we're going to try and get a second printing out there before it runs out completely. Uh, but... Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, overall, not terribly likely. All right, what's your next pick? Uh, my next pick this week is Guardian Project out of Ravnica Allegiance. For those unfamiliar, this is the green enchantment that draws you a card every time a creature comes into play that doesn't have the same name of another creature you control. Uh, which, of course, if you're playing EDH, is pretty much every creature you control. So this basically says... Form on enchantment whenever a creature enters a battlefield under your control, draw a card. Um, which is, honestly, I thought a bit underwhelming. I'm not really impressed with a form on enchantment that draws me a card every time I have a creature enter the battlefield. But people like it. It's got uh, over 14,000 EDH rec decks, so definitely some popularity there. It shows up this month as one of the most popular cards that people are playing with this month, so people are continuing to play with it. Uh, it is the second most popular monocolored card out of Ravnica Allegiance behind only Smothering Tithe, and it's actually rather close. Uh, the pack foil supply is like non-existent. We're talking like eight copies and only one or two of them are at a reasonable price point uh the the pre-release foils are better positioned so that's definitely the way that you want to go right now uh to try and get in because it's the only one you're gonna be able to it's it's chances are you're not gonna be able to get the pack foil because it's gonna sell out so you'll want to target the pre-release foil uh but in either case the supply is real low uh steep ramp again don't know where you're gonna see any more anytime soon this is from ravnica it's still very new uh, and there's definitely a popularity for an EDH. So uh, I think all the, all the pieces are there. Yeah, uh, this one's rock solid. I did just buy list a bunch of the non-foils um, because I was doubling up or something and it was too tasty to ignore. Um, but I And it does have a slight chance of showing up in the green commander set this summer, but I'd rate the possibility at like 10% or something. Uh, yeah, I, it doesn't seem like one of those cards to me. You know, like sometimes you just have a feeling. It doesn't feel like a, that type of card, but maybe, maybe. Not going to say it won't be. Um, in any case. Assuming it dodges I, that, should be good for a solid yeah. year. Yep, probably a good double up there. So, okay, straightforward. How about you? What's your next pick? All right, my final pick is a little riskier of a one. Um, I was looking at 
what are the extended art foils from Theros Beyond Death that seem to be underestimated? Where they have reasonable uh, demand profiles as expressed by EDH rec inclusions and general chatter about them. But no one's super excited about the card and it's not one of the top sellers on TCG uh, by volume. I'm talking about Nylea's intervention. We were talking about uh, Helia's intervention uh, earlier, um, which I did call out in our Discord earlier this week. Nylea's intervention is the one that lets you go get X lands and put them in your hand, which lets you assemble all sorts of ridiculous combos in Commander, should you so choose. Um, Foils are about 8 bucks right now. A foil extended art that is going to be a slow gainer that you can throw in a deck right now and expect it to... You know, get from 8 to, say, 18 in a year or more seems perfectly fine. I don't think I want to want to be super deep on this one just because there's other stuff that's a little bit more obvious. But I, if you wanted a copy for personal use, you're probably at peak supply. I don't expect the foils to get much lower. Um, so snap off a couple copies for your decks. As a spec, most I'd probably want to have of these is something like 8, 10, 12 copies. And I'd be looking to buy list them in the 14 to $16 range, getting in closer to 8. That's still a pretty fairly sizable amount of copies, right? If we're talking about extended art foils, ten is I'd say ten is a good bet for for what that matters. Um, the the total number yeah. of listings I'm looking at these like this: the, the total number of listings for a bad extended art foil rare from Theros. Tends to be something like 160 listings, 170, 180. Basically, nobody can unload them. Nylea's Intervention only has 54 results for the foils, which is still a fair amount. Like, it's going to take some time, but the ramp is pretty steep. You can get copies as low as 760 plus 78 cents shipping on TCG right now, but within about 20 or 30 copies, you're looking at more like 14, and then another you know, 10 copies, and you're looking at 18. That says to me that the card is probably underpriced relative to actual demand. Uh, I agree. And I like the card. I think the interventions are probably mostly going to have good futures and EDH in this one in particular is well positioned for sure. Um, You know, for all the reasons that you pointed out. And I love that steep curve. I like the extended art foils when we're talking about EDH cards. Uh, So overall, a solid choice, I think. One that you're unlikely to, to get hammered on. All right. This next pick I basically dropped in your lap. Uh, as more yeah. of a, like, what do you think about this as your third pick? So what do you think about this? Well, I was reading about it while you were uh, discussing Nylea's intervention there, but this is, uh, I have to say, I, I can give this the Travis seal of approval here, um, which is Irrigated Farmland. The foils from Amonkhet are, you've got $3 right down here. I don't think you're going to pay $3. You're going to pay $4 a copy. But other than that, I think your numbers are spot on. Um, it's about, it's usually a three to four of in the blue, white, various blue, white decks in pioneer looks like it's showing up in about 7% of pioneer decks, according to goldfish, uh, which is pretty good. You know, you're, you're getting almost 10% of the format is playing a couple copies of this. The inventory for the pack foils is, is what, where it's gets exciting. Um, you've got a handful of copies, like maybe two, three play sets max under five bucks. And then it climbs from there. 
And you don't have to go too far down. I mean, there's only 20 total vendors. And by the like 12th or 13th vendor, you're paying seven or eight bucks a copy. Uh, and then you, you know, it goes from there. So I think given that Blue White is having a good run in Pioneer, it doesn't look like it's going to change anytime soon. Um, Teferi Dominate, Teferi Time Raveler is still legal. Uh, and, you know, Thassa's Oracle is still legal. A lot of good cards are still legal in that format. Uh, I think it's only a matter of time. I agree with you that it's only a matter of time before the foils get up to eight, nine, ten bucks. And they they will reprint these du- these duels at some point, but there's a real long line. <laughs> but yeah, we we've got like unfinished cycles, battle bond, and checklands. I believe need to be finished. We've got both sets of fetches need a reprint sometime soon. I, I just don't see these being a priority for a while. Well, at this point, they're printing new land cycles faster than they're reprinting them, right? Like, we we crossed that threshold a while ago. Which means that it's very unlikely we're going to see more copies of Irrigated Farmland show up anytime soon because there's just the, the line's so long, as you said. Yep, indeed. All right, so let's get... We have a solid listener uh, pick this week from Millet Man in our Discord. He called out Dovin's Veto Foils. This is an uncommon from War of the Spark, also pre-foil uh, drop rate boost. Card is played pretty much everywhere. This is a quad format state super staple, like Standard, Modern, Pioneer, EDH, because it counters any non-creature spell for one white one blue and can't be countered itself so it's a silver bullet in a lot of situations against stuff you need to not happen um, i use it in my jeskai dragons deck and pioneer i'm always happy to cast it it never have any trouble i run two main deck and i never have any trouble finding targets um he called this to go from four to ten dollars uh, when he was originally looking at it they were as low as two or three now it's bumped up a little bit there's also a FNM promo to consider that looks really nice that you can get around three bucks. I think either or, uh, you know, if you need copies of your decks, grab them. If you wanted to put this together as a spec, I think you'd be fine to get almost any number of these because, I, again, I don't see this getting reprinted anytime soon. It's already had a promo, so you're not going to see another promo for it this year. It's got it specifically references a uh, planeswalker, so they can't just throw it in anywhere. This is this is a good card. I, I was just searching for this because I could have sworn that we had talked about this at some point in the past, but I don't see it on last year's spreadsheet. So I guess not. Um, but yeah, 11,000 EDA truck docs, especially for a two color card is a uh, solid. That's 15% of all blue white docs actually, uh, which is really impressive for a card that is as new as Dovin's Veto is. The numbers all seem solid. The price, the inventory uh, all lines up correctly. So this is a this is a good pick. I'm I'm on board. Um, so congratulations to our listener. He he earned his credit this week. Uh, and I think for my my yeah, he gets a twenty five dollar gift certificate from our lovely sponsor, Cool Stuff Inc. Uh, so we'll get that out to you shortly. Um, I think for myself, I will reach out and grab some of those F and M promos. They look pretty snazzy, and uh, I expect to get good use out of them. Cool. I uh, I think you will not be disappointed. Moving on to segment three, we're looking at, what, the Pioneer Challenge and the Pioneer Leagues from March 9th today? Yeah, real recent. So 5-0 lists included in the league uh, from March 9th. There was some blue-white spirits, and then immediately thereafter, I had to stop and do a double take because this deck is wild. 
This five <laughs> five a list is two Chandra Torch of Defiance, one Elspeth Sun's Champion, two Gideon of the Trials, two Gideon Ally of Zendikar, one Nahiri the Harbinger. So eight white or red Planeswalkers, four creatures in the form of Angel of Serenity, Dragon Lord Kolagon, Emrakul the Promised End, and Void Winnower. Whenever I see a deck like this, I'm just like, I'm just not creative enough. <laughs> Whenever I think I'm being being loopy with deck design, I'm clearly not being loopy enough. Four, 14 sorceries, anger, four, 3 Anger of the Gods, 4 Indomitable Creativity, 4 Pirates Pillage, 3 Sweltering Suns, 4 Chain to the Rocks, 2 Elspeth Conquers Death, and 4 The Birth of Miletus. This is in Pioneer, folks, not Standard. <laughs> yeah. And... The- so this is white red mid range control with some weird combo elements in the form of yeah, indomitable us- creativity. Yeah, he's using indomitable creativity. Yeah, to pump out a bunch of to- he pumps out tokens with a couple different strategies. One of them is the uh, oh shoot, what was it? The birth of Meltus, as you said, and then puts puts indomitable creativity to work. I think probably trying to hit all four of those creatures at once if he really gets lucky. Uh, but that's, that's the reason for the creature suite there. Uh, a very cool deck. Um, and the type of combo that we haven't seen too much in Pioneer yet, but I'm expecting to see more of as time goes on, as people kind of start to find these quirkier decks that are specific to the format, um, that are able to make use of some of the cheaty cards that otherwise weren't able to find a home in Pioneer, which is pretty cool to see that type of stuff flowing around. We've talked about Indomitable Creativity decks a couple times recently, and I think every time we talked about it, I forgot or didn't pick up on that this is not a rare, it's a mythic. Yeah. So it being played as a four of with any kind of consistency is going to send it through the roof. Well, funny you should mention that because I saw this deck and went, I'm going to go check those foils, and guess what? We were not the first persons to think of that. There are virtually none left. They're like 12, it was like one at 12 and then one at 15. So the prices are real high, uh, which is, so this, some of the people saw this deck do well and just gobbled it, gobbled those up right up. So I'm wondering if somebody did a, a deck tech or something to that effect on there, it. There definitely have been uh, YouTube slash streamer takes on this recently because there's a few different versions of this posting up uh, in mm. modern and pioneer. Uh, we saw Indomitable Creativity like Polymorph decks as early as maybe a year and a half ago, I want to say. Um, so, I mean, yeah, the <laughs> the it, it doesn't strike me li- as likely that this is ever going to post up as Tier 1, but that doesn't you don't need to be Tier 1 to sell cards. You can just be good at FNM, assuming that the local LGS has survived long enough for FNM to continue. Yeah, if it's a fun deck. And, you know, there is always a possibility that a deck like this can do well. Um you know, if the control shell is solid and it just happens to use indomitable creativity to finish, that can be, you know, that can be enough to, to get the deck, to keep the deck in good standings, essentially. Uh, I particularly like the Simic Ramp deck that we're seeing here. It has, I, there's just this one bit on it I really appreciate. It's four Thought Not Seer and then four Uro. That is... That is good. I like seeing that. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. Yeah, so this is, yeah, Simic Ramp. So it's got many of the usual suspects. Two Nissa who shakes the world. Three Ugin the Spirit Dragon. Three Arboreal, Arboreal Grazer. Uh, Seth was on stream tonight calling it or 
or Boreal or something, something very messed mm. up. It's completely just, just doing it on purpose now, right? Yeah, it's, it's, he's, he's wrecking the, the storage facility in my head that, that memorizes that name. Arboreal Grazer. Four Cavalier of Thorns, one Emrakul, the Promised End, one Hydroid Crassus, four Lenoir Elves, three Seder Wayfinder, four Thought Nut Seer, four Uro, as you mentioned, two World Breaker, three Nisses Pilgrimage, and 26 Lands. Um, I noticed that so, they're they're running uh, three Castle Garenbrig here and four Ipnu Rivulet. This is the blue land out of Hour of Devastation, I believe. Sacrifice a desert. Target player puts the top four cards of his or her library into his or her graveyard. Um, that's to, I guess, flip over, get things into the graveyard for Emrakul and give you things to bring back with your Cavalier of Thorns and get Uros in that you can reuse. Yeah. And uh, I guess world, you know, breakers, it says, world Breakers are good in the graveyard it, too. And it says Simic, but it, it's not Simic, right? Because you have the colorless requirements, so it's more like a three-color deck, but even still. Uh, that, that is a cool strategy that we also haven't seen too much of to date so far. Um, little bits here and there, but it's generally not a not been too big. Uh, I know Uro has popped in the Pioneer a little bit in the Inverter of Truth decks, um, but I think this is the first time I've seen him paired with Thought Not Seer. I see the uh, Pioneer version of the Underworld Breach deck on here. This one spanked me uh, the other night at Pioneer. I had the pleasure of seeing this thing go off. Uh, had pour over the pages cast against me and went and and then I was like oh it untaps two lands and the lands are both lotus fields because your thespian stage copied one nasty yeah Uh, dex fun don't know uh, whether it's tier 2 1.5 or tier 1 but uh, I expect that will be around for a while and probably just get better with time until at some point, Breach just gets too good. Uh, yeah, Lotus Field also probably <laughs> is going to be on thin ice, right? Um, they're not going to be eager to leave too mu- that around too much because that card is generally lands that make three mana are too good. So I've heard. I mean, if there magic. If, if there was no spells in Magic that untapped lands, it'd probably be just fine. <laughs> but yeah, but given all the random twiddle effects that are hanging around, yeah, it's nasty. It's it's not the land that makes three mana that's the problem. It's the card that untaps that, the land. That lets you, yeah, untap it twice in the same turn and get nine mana out of it. So, so Mishra's Factory was fair, into, or Mishra's Workshop was fair until they printed something that untapped it, right? That's how that works? Yeah, Voltaic <laughs> Key is the real problem. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. All right, so you got, we also got 5-0 decks that included various forms of blue-white control. You've got that green-red deck that's been running around that's like Gruel Spellbreakers, Hazard the Fervent, Embercleaves, Domri, uh, Anarch of Bolas. It's got me wondering about the anime versions of Domri since they've been mostly ignored. Um, see how that goes, I suppose. There's a 5-0 deck here that has two Calyx Destiny's Hand. Hmm. Did not see that coming. It's two Calyx, Which... four Crosser of Crufix, four Eidoline of Blossoms, Four Herald of the Pantheon, which we saw t- take off last week. Uh, three Satessan Champion. Two Baffling End. Four Banishing Light. Three Gideon's Intervention. One Mana Bloom. Two Seal Away. Three Sigil of the Empty Throne. That's the one that makes four four white angels when you cast an enchantment. Two Sphere of Safety. Um, and four Wolf Willow Haven. So it's basically just a deck full of nothing but enchantments. Green, white. And it 5-0 to Pioneer League. That must have pissed off some opponents. 
Which list are you looking at? This is on the Pioneer League. It's uh, just below the green-red list with uh, the user Just Call Me Jick. Oh, are you looking? You, you clicked onto the Wizards webpage, right? Yeah. Okay, I had the MTG Top 8 page listed, so I didn't get to the ninth place deck. So playing Calyx and Pioneer, huh? Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting. <laughs> Again, yeah. seems super unlikely to be a tier one deck. It doesn't look like they broke the format with this, but it has a lot of consistency because it's just all enchantments. Like 22 lands and everything else is an enchantment and two Calyx. So all the enchantment uh, synergies just happen over and over and over again. Like Herald of the yeah. Pantheon makes them cheaper. Eidolon of Blossoms draws you a card. So does Satessan Champion. You have all... Because the format doesn't have great kill to begin with, it's not that big a deal to run a bunch of slightly suboptimal kill in the form of Baffling Ends and Banishing Lights and Gideon Interventions and Sealaways and so forth. Um, because you don't have a path or a, a Swords of Plowshare that's pulling you in the other direction. Well, I you know, I find this a little surprising, uh, if only because Calyx is so bad anyways. <laughs> uh, like, yeah, you get to draw the card every turn. Like, you're pretty much guaranteed to draw, but I, he's is it even worth it? He's basically an expensive kill spell with upside. Because yeah. he gets to Banishing Light something as long as one of your enchantments doesn't leave. Yeah, I. he seems doesn't seem like he's worth it, uh, but sure. <laughs> I, I'm not sure anybody else is going to be wasting time tuning this list. So uh, There's also a, a mono-red list that has a couple of interesting features. Uh, it's two Chandra Torch of Defiance, four Annex Hardened in the Forge, three Bone Crusher Giant, four Burning Tree Emissary, three Dragon Whisperer, Three Fanatical Firebrand, one Carry Zev Skyship Raider, three Legion Loyalist, two Perforos God of the Forge, three Robber of the Rich, two Torbran. So some elements there are familiar, others not so much. One Lightning Strike, one Ember Cleave, and four Leyline of Combustion main deck. That's the one that says, uh, came out in M20. Uh, you get, obviously, because it's a ley line, you begin with it in play if it's in your opening hand. Whenever you or at least one permanent you control becomes the target of a spell or an ability that opponent controls, they take two damage. So every time they kill one of your creatures you're trying to hit them upside the head with in your red aggro deck, they take two and hasten their own demise. Sure. Pair that with Eidolon of uh, the Great Rebel, although not legal, but... Right? Theros is... Theros is legal. Yes, yeah. Theros is legal. Uh, it's not. It's a fun little it, combo. It's not in there, but is it in the sideboard? No, it's not in the sideboard either. So they must have a reason for that. The uh, I wonder if the moniker was slightly too high in Pioneer for Great Rubble. Well, I'll tell you this much: if Leyline of Combustion matters, that's a rare from lat from the core set that is a dollar for the foils. That's tempting. I mean, it would have to be weirdly good in order for me to care about that. But well, if it became if it, it became the standard. And red decks and pioneer, yeah. Then that yeah. card is way underpriced. Those foil. If mystical, if uh, you know things like noxious dispute can be five, six, seven dollars in foil, then a dollar, and they're uncommons. Then the foil rare that is played as a four of certainly can't stay at a dollar. Uh, no, but then you're in the dollar to four dollar jump, and that's exactly what we <laughs> well, like. You could be in the dollar to ten dollar jump pretty soon because it's a four of. 
Well, sure, if you got really paid. There's only there's only <laughs> 88 results, which is not that much for a card that essentially sees no play up until now. But because yeah. it's in a core set, you know, it only takes 50 mono red players to decide they want the foils to clean them out. Well, you know what? I'm not sold, but uh, I'm not discounting it entirely. It, I could I could see it. I, if you never see it again, ignore it. <laughs> if right. you see it start right. to show up as the standard, by all means, jump in. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. Uh, I'll there's it. there's I'll plenty it. of other red decks in this list, for instance, that don't even look remotely like that one. So that's boring don't doesn't mean a whole lot i see the green black list i played against last week with uh rotting regisaurs and galtas at the top end with great henge great henge was pretty mm-hmm. nasty once it got on the table boy Whew. oh yeah i would have to imagine that that's got to be one of the most fun cards to put in a pioneer deck for the most part like you're not going to get to put it on the battlefield very often but boy when you do you're going to be happy about it and it's lo- certainly lots of us in the mtg finance community own great henges hoping that they're going to keep pushing higher so <laughs> and that was based on commander only assumptions if it's commander plus yeah. pioneer plus standard we're going to do just fine it's been peeking into pioneer a couple times it has happened yep uh, but this, this, this so green blacklist not... has been pretty consistent for the better part of a month and has zero impact from banning. Like, there's nothing in here that has any hope of getting banned. It's like 29 totally reasonable creatures, three collected companies, one Heart of Kieran, and four Great Henge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could make a that could make a push to become like a a tier. I don't know. Two point five tier two card and deck. Yeah. Our, this next one is uh, the Sultai list that our boy Daniel Fournier says is the best deck in Pioneer right now, probably because he's been cleaning house uh, with it locally. I think him and his partners have won something like three tournaments back-to-back or something in Toronto. Um, this is one Lily on the Last Hope, two Nissa Who Shakes the World, two Corsair of Crifix, an Emrakul, Promised End, Ishkana, Graf Widow, two Jace Friends Prodigy, two Murderous Rider, four Seder Wayfinder, Scavenging Ooze, two Tireless Tracker, four Uro, Uro everywhere, one Walking Ballista, four Thoughtseize, three Traverse the Ovenwald, two Abrupt Decay, four Fatal Push, and a Grizzly Salvage. Okay. I like the Uro, so I can get behind him. Let's see. How is my Uro Extended Art Foil doing? It's been another week. No, it was Extended Art. You don't have to wait for me. You can keep going. So somebody else had a different take on this whole uh, Sultai thing. Here's a deck that looks fairly different. Two Liliana Death's Majesty. Four Agent of Treachery. That's the seven mana 2-3. Four Jace Friends Prodigy. Four Seder Wayfinder. Three Stitcher Supplier. Four Uro. Three Blood for Bones out of M20. That's three and a black. As an additional cost to cast this spell, sack a creature, return a creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield, then return another creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's all about like hitting agent, getting agent of treachery into the graveyard, and then getting an agent of treachery and an uro into play together at the same time. When the agent of treachery enters the battlefield, you gain control of target permanent. That's so sick. Yeah. And you're using the four Jace Prodigies to dump it in the yard. Seder Wayfinder can do that as well. This is nasty. 
And then they've got four Thought Seize, three Fatal Push, and four Grizzly Salvage. That's <laughs> uh, it's clever. I'll give them that. I like the I like the plan here. You, using Death's Majesty to reanimate Agent of Treachery is inspired. <laughs> this is fun. If, if I was going to put together Celta, I'd put together this version. It might be worse, but it's definitely more fun. I mean, it, you sit down in game one, and you you know it's a close game, and you, you know you can't get your reanimation plan off the table, off the ground, and then you just hard cast Agent of Treachery. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of great hands, it also shows stuff. up pretty prominently in the latest versions of the mono green list in Pioneer, where it's three of in the main and one in the sideboard. So between the green black and the green list, that's quite a lot of pressure from Pioneer on Great Henge as a mythic. Yeah, I mean it's more than I guess I would have anticipated, especially. A while ago, uh, so there's a uh, worth keeping an eye on. There's a Jeskai Planeswalkers list here. Sixteen Jeskai Planeswalkers, including all the usual suspects: Elspeths, Gideons, Nahiris, Narsets, Teferis, and more Teferis. Four Fey of Wishes, four Fires of Invention, an Oath of Teferi of all things. Deten- Detention Sphere, Anger of the Gods, two Deafening Clarion, one Drawn from Dreams, one Mizzium Mortars, and three Supreme Verdict. This is probably what my Jeskai Dragons deck is supposed to look like. <laughs> but I like the dragons, damn it. Yeah. Oath of Teferi is solid. I've got a couple of these stashed. Um, I've got foils. I think I stashed them. Yeah, so do I. I don't remember what I stashed them for. Because war- I think it was we bought someone War of the Spark when we figured out War of the Spark was about Planeswalkers. Okay. Yeah, a lot of good. That's done us so far. I, I, well, I sold a few, <laughs> uh, but I mean, not as many as I bought. That's for sure. Right. Um, um, so moving on. So m- moving on over to the challenge, which is a little is less curated than the league. First place uh, on the on the challenge on the eighth, uh, which was Sunday, I suppose, was Blue White Spirits, which has been a consistent force in the meta. Um, Collected Company really seems to put that deck over the top, giving it the reach it needs to maintain. It's got to be considered tier one. It shows up so often. Blue White Spirits? Yeah. it's Yeah, top... there's no way that's not tier yeah. one. Yeah, it's top eighting all the time. Uh, second yeah. place was Blue White Planeswalkers Control. Uh, third place was uh, Mono Green Devotion with four Nykthos Shrine and Nyx, four Karn the Great Creator, four Nissa Who Shakes the World, four Vivian Arcbow Ranger. There was discussion about Karn the Great Creator in our Discord today because it shows up, it's showing up all over the place despite um, uh, Mycosynth Lattice being banned out of Modern. Um, we're mm-hmm. still seeing lots of Karn play, especially in Pioneer, and some in Modern as well. And I, I think I called Japanese Karns a while back at like 19 and they've slid down to 12 or 13. And I was reinforcing today that, sure, we, it slid, but it's probably going to head back the other direction now. Like $12 Japanese Karns seems like a real good deal. Well, it's funny you say that because I was just looking at Karns before we started recording tonight to evaluate them as a spec. And I decided that the supply was a little too high. The uh, you know, it wasn't where I wanted it to be before I'd move in, but it did. I did start thinking about it when I'm seeing it pop up in Pioneer a couple times, using a, a toolbox sideboard. It's no longer a combo win, but it still provides a lot of versatility. Um, you know, especially in the green devotion decks where you can theoretically just play Karn and fetch the artifact and cast the artifact all at once. So if you're playing green devotion. And your opponent's on, I don't know, whatever garbage they're playing. And then your Green Devotion opponent just goes, uh, Karn, fetch Damping Sphere, cast Damping Sphere. And you're just like, 
uh, game one. I guess my Lotus Field <laughs> does not tap anymore. Yeah, that's a fun little, fun little trick there. The thing is that we talk, we've talked a lot over the years about open-ended synergy cards, and Karn is the definition of. Like, it's silence on a stick that has upside in terms of toolbox utility. Yeah. In this format, it's just going to get more and more options as time goes on. Seems super unlikely to catch a ban itself. It's very strong, but it's not busted. And if a combo shows up with something it's going to go get, they'll get rid of that, not him. Yes, that does seem much more likely. Um, so Because they're probably okay with Karn getting the play as a toolbox card. It's the, you know, the Mishra's, or I'm sorry, not Mishra's, uh, Microsynth Lattice that are going to be the problem. And like Microsynth Lattice type cards aren't going to do anything that fun anyway, so it's fine to get rid of those. So, I mean, I think, I think Karn six months ago was too early, admittedly. Karn now? Probably fine. Yeah, you're in for a long-term hold there, right? Like, the supply was was pretty good. Because um, we're looking at Karn the Create Creator. Non-foils are just about five bucks. Let's see here. They're five bucks. So that, near mint. That's, that's got to be a good, a good buy. It's cheap. There are 230 vendors. Like, you're, you're, this is not a supply play. This is a no. hoping that, you know... This is a multi-format, tide, tide multi-format the... staple that is probably underestimated long-term. If you've got, if you're flipping stuff quick on arbitrage from Europe, you don't need to worry about this for now. But if you're the kind of person that only checks in every once in a while on MGG Finance, you could do a lot worse than stashing 20 or 30 cards at five bucks. Yeah, it's a solid long-term spec. Not debating that at all. Um, I'm also not seeing a lot. Yeah, of, I don't... I'm also not seeing a lot of giant bricks on TCG Player, which is telling. Like, nobody's sitting yeah, on 200. Just, like, you don't have to see the CFB 200 copies sitting here. No, that I wouldn't anticipate. Uh, I, wouldn't, I guess it wouldn't surprise me, but it's not something I would expect on a card like this because it was popular enough, especially for a while, that a lot of those major reserves would have been drained when you could sell more copies to the modern crowd. The, big, the bigger reserves start in around $8, $9, That's when you get the people that have, like, Pack Fresh Magic is one of the biggest vendors on TCG. At ten fifty, yeah. they've got eighty-two copies. So that's probably yeah. the resistance level. Ten, not five. So I, w- I would guess mm-hmm. getting from five to ten in the year is probably going to be a pretty solid thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. That that seems like a reasonable shot here, where you play, where you buy in at five, not expecting an inventory to drain. You just hit ten with it, which is where the bigger vendors have camped out. Yep. All right, so the fourth place in the Pioneer Challenge on the 8th was the black-white uh, enchantment deck that is SRAM Senior Artificer and a whole bunch of random little black-white cards that you can get off draft tables that was popularized by a Japanese player initially. Um, I saw this at my FNM the other night. Um, I saw it at another store that I was in like two weeks ago. Uh, this deck seems to be getting around, um, and if it's top eighting on a semi-regular basis, then it's pretty real. The pressure there is going to be on SRAM for the most part, uh, since most of this other stuff is super cheap. Yeah, and our ethereal armor, was that reprinted? I don't remember. Uh, let's take a quick peek. No, it wasn't. So foil ethereal armors are five. Let's see. There are six vendors on TCG with foil ethereal armors. Uh, 550, 
550 8 bucks, 11 gone. And see, so, and that, that's going to drain out. Here's why. If you opened any amount of uh, Eldraine or Collector Booster Eldraine, you have a ton of these foils because a bunch of them came out of that set. So the... Ethereal Armor? Uh, not Ethereal Armor. Just, sorry, not not uh, Eldraine. Uh, Theros Beyond Death because Elseed of Life's Bounty, Ephemia the Cacophony, Hateful Eidolon, and Karametra's Blessing are all out of Theros. Uh, so is Sentinel's Eyes. So... I have half this deck put together in foil just from opening collector boosters. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Which I, I see that. So the, I, 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 I believe that. So those stick, sticking points, SRAM and ethereal armor will drain because people will be able to put this together in foil pretty cheaply. Um, and the deck seems like it does work. So, uh, fifth place was a mono white devotion list, uh, based around the walking ballista Heliod combo. We've seen those uh, around for a while. Inverter, uh, Jace combo in sixth place, no big surprise. Uh, Mono Green Devotion in seventh with more Karn the Great Creator and more Nisa Who Shakes the World. Uh, and then Mono White Devotion in eighth. So a more realistic top eight. <laughs> These are the real decks in the format. And then there was all those cute decks we saw over in the, in the uh, league right yeah it looks pretty solid so far um we you know we're kind of bridging the gap here in a segment four but the pioneer wasn't touched by the bands at all and i don't think it's been it seems like that's totally fine i i i know that i had discussions with cliff and you about like dig through time and that type of thing um and whether or not it would be banned in pioneer and i thought that if anything was going to be banned it would be dig through time but that we didn't get there uh and i'm glad we didn't because it looks like the format's healthy um people are playing interesting decks nothing's overpowering uh so all's well in pioneer land yeah and in the article where wizards announced uh the bands they basically said demir inverter had a 49 percent non-mir match win rate and had unfavorable matchups against five of the other 10 most played decks so as much as people have been talking about it as a boogeyman, it's not actually clear it's even a tier one deck right now, according mm-hmm. to them. And mm-hmm. the thing that's interesting here is that Wizards is leaning really heavily on Magic Online stats. And a lot of MGG Finance and pro player reporting, just in terms of meta evolving, leans really heavily on MTGO stats as well. So I started thinking the other day about you know, we're getting edging closer and closer to a world where Arena can do most of the things that Magic Online can do. Like, it's probably still another solid year, maybe two years off before we're to the point where you can play Standard and Pioneer, at least, and draft with real people on Arena. But once we're there, it's going to really start to undermine the Magic Online economy. Like, once you get to the point where it's just like Modern, Legacy, and Commander over on mtgo uh, is that how, like how long does that software survive in that state of affairs um and what's gonna happen when the bottom drops out on stats where the only deck list we see is whatever wizards chooses to publish and put in front of us well uh... 
Yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, that seems to be what they're okay with, though, right? With uh, us only seeing the information they want us to have. Because like at that point, we're going to see results from big tournaments on Arena and results from paper tournaments. But it's going to be really tough to get information about what the actual top decks in the format are on a broad basis. It's also going to be really tough to figure out if something is a true emerging tech or not because you're not going to be able to see the repetitive 5-0 lists, presumably. They may choose to keep publishing those, but maybe they won't. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, ultimately, it's bad for us, and Wizards is probably happy about it because it starts to diminish the amount of pioneer or you know information that is getting out the doors and solving their formats. And they're completely happy with that because it also means they don't have to ban as often either. And, you know, there's nothing they could want more than to not have to ban. It's interesting though, because I think if you had asked people to vote on what would have got banned, I think you would have lost dig through time in inverter, but the stats didn't support it. So the, the presumption of the player base would have been wrong. Well, if you went to the, if you asked the community, do you think anything in Pioneer should be banned? I don't think you would have gotten told that Dig Through Time should go. I don't think that'd be necessary. Oh. I, I, I would like to think that that is the case. Almost everybody I saw talking about it on Twitter thought that Dig was going to go for Inverter. Well, it, okay, so people saw the announcement that there was going to be a ban and then go to, well, what are they going to make changes to? You know, well, if it's Pioneer, this is the card. But I, I guess I consider that to be different than I think Dig Through Time should be go, should go. It's more, well, if I was, if I'm predicting a change in Pioneer, this is what it would be. We went two for three in the Discord. I'm more or less settled in the Discord on saying that it was probably going to be Once Upon a Time in Modern, Breach and Legacy, and Dig Through Time in Inverter. And the Dig Through Time call was wrong. Um doesn't really matter that that breach was banned in legacy um that's no huge financial impact there once upon a time is like oko just an embarrassment for throne of eldrain because i have fancy versions of that i opened in collector boosters that'll be super hard to sell now it's basically just an edh card it's going to take forever to find a buyer um Mm -hmm. and you know a couple more bannings out of that set and you'd have a real embarrassing like box to open uh yeah throne of Drain is looking to be essentially awful but not <laughs> to open because all the good cards are banned. it's more it's not i don't think it's awful i think it's conflicted there's a ton of good ra- long-term rares in that set that are going to be super staples in the format you have the castles etc um but you have this the best mythic in the set has been kneecapped and once upon a time is arguably the best rare in the set also kneecapped so but having that kind of feel bad where it should be the best part of opening a box becomes the worst part of opening a box is not where you want to land. Uh, yeah, I mean, agree with you there. It's it's not that it'll never be a good box to open, but it certainly sucks that so much of the meat of the set has been suffering. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's talk a little bit about those. Uh, we talked about touch on the bannings. The other thing I want to touch on was the mystery booster foil list. Am I correct in guessing that you didn't actually read the whole thing? I did. Thank you very oh, okay. much. Okay. I didn't know how much time you had I am to review like a f- 121 random foils. 
offended that you think <laughs> I wouldn't scroll through that list. You're a busy guy. 30 seconds before 30 seconds before we started recording, I went, oh, yeah, I better not make sure that nothing I picked this week is on that foil list. So I got to tell you, I am, as with the rest of the Magic community, a little stunned at the foils that ended up in this special slot that we've been waiting on for four months now. Since they initially told us that in the LGS version, um, replacing the playtest cards would be a special sheet of foils. I kind of, like, I assumed that given that it's a 121 cards on the sheet for that slot, that there was going to be a lot of chaff. It has to be. But I also assumed there was going to be some really big league foils included there from a demand, per- well. from a demand perspective. Instead, Wizards went the route of what are a bunch of obscure foils that are really expensive by virtue of rarity and that we can we can look really good on the initial EV reportage because the foils are just going to be ridiculous value based on yesterday's price, but that really don't have a significant demand profile to prop them up. And as a result, we've got this list of things that are, like, very, very niche. You've got Sens Triplets foils, for instance, was a foil that was riding over $300 or something. Were they really that much? Yeah, now that you say that, I remember it. And the question now becomes, <laughs> what will what will the market price these at, ultimately? Because initial EV calculations, I think it was Saffron that, that ran it, um, we're basically outlining that even if foil prices fell 75%, they would still make up most of the price of a box. So the question that just in that slot alone. So the question then becomes, how low will these foils actually dip? And what makes it even more interesting is the math that a lot of people haven't wrapped their heads around yet that we've talked about a couple times, where every slot in the Mystery Boosters is a mythic slot. And the foils are all mythics. Now, that doesn't mean they're mythic foils. It means they are mythics. So um, something that used to be a mythic foil or a rare foil that gets a reprint here is actually getting reprinted at a lower rarity. A foil common, however, is probably more common than a given mythic in an average box of magic. So those are actually less common than they used to be and are should therefore be affected less but this list of foils is so eclectic that i have a feeling that the bottom drops out on these to the tune of 70 to 85 percent um okay so first of all you know to call back to our initial discussion i guess we have to have this conversation in the framework that coronavirus isn't going to destroy the set (laughs) but if we operate from that perspective, um, yeah, I, I, it's probably in the 60 to 80% range, depends on the card. Like, I, I have trouble, I think the bad ones will crater hard, um, but I think the decent ones will survive better than you might expect. Like, send triplets, if we say send triplets is $300, will it stay above... 60 i could see that you don't think so it's tricky the 
I, I heard conflicting reports along the way of how much of this set was actually printed. Uh, at first, I was hearing it was going to be available all year. Then it seemed to, it sounded like they had printed one big wave and that there wasn't going to be uh, any additional uh, revisiting of the printing press. I have a feeling it's more like, for now, there's one big wave. If it sells out and demand is persistent come mid, late summer, early fall, they will leave the door open for them to go back to the press. But Mm -hmm. that they don't feel, you know, they don't need to commit to that one way or the other right now because they haven't claimed that this set is is limited time only. So just out of curiosity, do we know who their print shop is these days? Because it's not Cardamundi anymore, right? there's a I don't know who it is, but I sus- I suspect that they whether it's Cardamundi on a smaller uh, on a different uh, portion of the press floor for these ancillary products, or they've got a different printer lined up for the ancillary products. The suspicion is that they have a more just in time system set up. They they have the capability of printing sets much more quickly, as is evidenced by the way they're handling uh, Secret Layer. <laughs> although but, it's not like but, it's not like it's uh, a one week turnaround it seems like it's somewhere within two to three months <laughs> to get back on the floor and get a press lot based on how fast the additional copies of ordered secret layers are are finally getting delivered well my question was not in regards to the speed of the turnaround time but whether their um their print shop was in china Oh, because if like that is, again, the title is back to the start of the show. Right now, the area hit hardest by COVID, which means that you aren't not getting back to the print printers uh, if you need more cards printed because nobody's open. Well, the you'll be able I don't have packs or a box in front of me for the LGS version. But we can certainly check with our contacts and report back on that next week to find out where they were printed. I'll uh, I'll put that question into our contacts. Um, I can tell you this much: since triplets foils have already fallen to below twenty euro on MCM card market for the foils. Yeah. Whew. That's all right. That's a huge drop. I got. I don't. I the thing is, Alar had those foil packs too. Yeah. So I mean, it was there was a there was an abnormally large supply of foils from that set relative to other sets at the time. But that was a long time. Ago. I don't know. It was, it was, and and Sun Triplets hasn't been popular in the way that it, you know, let, let, hasn't let, been that let's popular just, in a let's long just time. Sun Triplets is a three color commander: white, blue, black. Three three legendary artifact, legendary artifact creature, human wizard. At the beginning of your upkeep, choose target opponent. This turn, that player can't play spells or activated abilities and plays with his or her hand revealed. You can play cards from that player's hand this turn. So, this card is cool, but doesn't have a huge number of reported decks on EDH Rec. And I don't see that changing on the basis of $20 foils being available. No, most likely not. Some people will be like, oh, I can finally get a cheap foil sun triplets. Maybe I'll build that deck now. But uh, yeah, for the most part, it's not going to be an overwhelming number of people. Now that, that doesn't mean I think these are going to languish. I think these are worth picking up around 20 if you can get them, because I think they'll go 20 to 40 in a year or so. Especially if they're, if the mystery booster boxes dry up by midsummer and they don't reprint them. Because then 
people are in a situation they're like that foil used to be three hundred dollars well i guess i better buy it if it's 90 percent off and it's been printed mm-hmm. as a mythic which is essentially something like i don't know a foil uncommon probably um the equivalent but it it's printed at mythic rarity and it's only available for say six to eight weeks in in broad circulation. Now, if the set gets reprinted again in the fall, that's going to knock things back, and it's going to be the same kind of situation we saw with Eternal Masters several years back, where they pulled the bait and switch and dropped a bunch of a, a fresh, smaller print run into everybody's lap heading into the holidays. The thing about this year, however, is we have a really like busy schedule. They've got Commander Legends already announced for next holiday season and Zendikar in the fall and a core set in the summer and possibly a master set in late summer. If you believe the rumors, that's a lot of stuff. It also might help if the master set is real side note, it might help explain why this foil list ended up being so eclectic and niche because between commander legends and that master set, a lot of the stuff they might have reprinted here was off limits. Um, that is, yes, I if there is a master set in the pipeline that we don't know about, then yes, it is possible we'll get. Uh, that's kind of what they're hiding. I think that. Uh, oh shoot! You have like three thoughts, and then I lose them all by the time I get a chance to say something. Apologies, you need to take notes. No, it's not your fault. I just have zero ability to retain information uh i don't oh i know what i was gonna say yes the schedule seems pretty tight but since when has wizards not been willing to shove an unbelievable volume of products down our throat uh they've 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 committed to that to that line of play for uh you know at least two years now so so that's possible ck's buy list on on the original sends triplet foil is down to 4550 yeah hmm okay so they're they're clearly taking a hit uh here i do suspect that those 20 dollar mystery booster foils might be a good pickup but i don't know for sure but i'm curious my best take so far is that it's the non because the foils are not very amazing they can't dominate the EV of the box and push the other non-foils down by as much as they would have otherwise. So if there had been something like a foil mana crypt and four or five other like 50 to $60 foils that were likely to hold that level, it would have really pushed the non-foils down because the foil slot is guaranteed. So you could figure it, you know, if the EV of that slot for 24 packs ended up being $70, then the non-foils have to crater completely. If, it, if the foils yes. hold at that level, because people will just, this, the usual math, people will just open boxes until that happens. Um, but because right. the foils are much more niche and seem like they could bleed off 80 to 90%, and there might be five or 10 exceptions that we'll talk about maybe next week. Um, but the it seems to me like the non-foils are really good pickups. So for instance, we did a group buy. Um, we, we did these snack size group buys for the pro traders in our Discord today where we were taking prices that were being fed to us by our European vendor partners and feeding, like dripping them into our buy, our uh, group buy channel in the Discord for people to snap off, you know, a handful of copies in with a total number of copies available of, say, 20 to 30. So, for instance, 
we got a shot at $108 Mana Crypts or something today. Um, price on those is still holding at 200 I would imagine that once uh, boxes start getting cracked this coming weekend, it could get pushed down to 150 140 maybe even 120 130 But that's a card that has proven that it can rebound pretty easily with any amount of time. Um, so I feel pretty comfortable getting our people in under 110. Yeah, that sounds great. I guess overall, I'm, I'm not shocked by this foil list, honestly. Uh, there's some options in here that seemed quite a few options that I thought were decent. Like right off the top of the page, I see Amulet of Vigor, Archetype of Endurance, um, some other cool there, you know, you had intruder alarm in there, which is kind of cool. So I guess what was scrolling through it, it didn't seem bad to me. Uh, maybe I had more realistic expectations than the rest of the magic community, or at least like the magic community loves to hear, we're getting 120 foils and decide that they're all going to be monocrypts. And then when they're not all monocrypts or none of them are monocrypts, there's a, Oh, well, this is really disappointing. And it's like, well, yeah, but what were you expecting? Like, how often does Wizards put out a product list and it's way beyond your wildest expectations, you know? I did I did notice a couple. There's some lower-end rarities that because they're printed at Mythic caught my eye. So, for instance, Viscera Seer foils. Snap, snapping mm-hmm. those off pretty low seems like an auto-win. Card is in a massive amount of EDH decks and still can show up in Modern. Um, could get reprinted in a Pioneer at some point, possibly. And that's the kind of foil that I think you want to be focused on. Stuff that has that wasn't that niche, that might be single, mostly single format, but has a very strong demand profile and is getting printed at Mythic when it was originally a common foil. Yep, that seems like a good way to go. Uh, I would, I would definitely want to be targeting Pioneer foils, um, but overall, uh, I think you got the right idea there. Yes, I mean, we were looking at some other... Uh, we, we did some more group buys in the non-foils today for stuff like Expropriate, Selvala, Heart of the Wilds. Um, trying to think of some of the other things that we were going after. Basically, all the stuff that looked like if it came down 50% or so, it, it almost certainly had to be a buy, since they're all mythics. Like, everything's a mythic. So, if they were uncommons or rares... Previously, that only had a single printing, and their reprint is, is as a mythic that's only going to be available for a certain period of time. That seems like a fine 6, 12, 15 month hold. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, I mean, I there's definitely possibilities in here. There's definitely opportunities for some of these cards that are going to come down hard and rebound more so than people might expect. I think that's going to be an angle. Um, Maelstrom Nexus is one that catches my eye. You know, I'd have to go back and look a little closer at the whole list. Elish Norn, uh, Perforos, Gitrog Monster, Basilisk Caller, Chromatic Lantern, uh, Dictated Erebos, Grasp of Fate, uh, Phyrexian Arena, Wrist the Redeemed. This is the the Wristic Study Lotus Petal. Like, these are the kinds of things that strong enough demand profiles that expect them to get pushed down pretty hard here, but maybe rebound faster than pretty much everything else yeah yep 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 i agree there so i don't know overall i thought i don't think it's a bad list um i think it's kind of roughly what 
we were anticipating there was, you know, a couple okay foil reprints, but, you know, it was not just a who's who of EDH foils. Yeah. All right. That's uh, more or less a wrap for this week, I think. Where can people find you online? I am, as always, for better or worse, on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Um, and, of course, uh, I show up here most weeks. And you guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com, hosting this podcast, as well as haunting our Pro Trader Discord. Uh, I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month, $79.99 per year, $1.50 per week. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Which brings us to the end of episode 210. I thought it was a good one. Uh... It was exciting to talk about magic cards and uh, also this disease it's going to. Yeah, the plague that's going to get to all of us. I'm sure next week it will we'll have a, a whole new set of insights on that. Um, but until then, James, I will see you next week. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.